Nicely done, Beef. When football fans everywhere cheer for their team, they're cheering for you too, because your savory snacks fuel the gridiron battle. With your tasty sliders, hearty chilies, and drool-worthy steaks, every option is an MVP. Most valuable protein. So gather around the TV and get cooking at beefitswhatsfordinner.com. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. Well, it's another beautiful Friday afternoon on a football weekend in Starkville, road trip edition. I'm Charlie Winfield. Bart Gregory is here. And, Bart, it must be time once again for our Tracks Plus Deep Dig as we look into the stats, the trends, the personalities that will make up this Mississippi State at Texas A&M game tomorrow. Charlie, here's the thing. The more I look into this game, the more I don't know what's going to happen. That's what's so crazy about it is – I don't know what to expect in this ball game tomorrow, but I'll tell you what I do expect. I expect it to be ugly. I expect it to be a very, very ugly football game. I was thinking about it last night driving home, and I thought back to Rocky Three, my favorite of the Rocky movies, by the way. Mr. T. Yeah, Clubber Lang. He also had the appearance by Thunderlips, the ultimate male. Remember Hulk Hogan's character? No, I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, he was great. And, and Mickey, you know, the... I didn't think we taught wrestling. Oh, no, we're talking movies. Okay. And so Mick, you know, he looks at him and he says says to uh, Rocky, he says, you ever fought a dinosaur kid? They can do a variety of damage. <laughs> that was his line about Hulk Hogan. But the other thing that came out of that that made me think about this ball game: the reporter is interviewing Clubber Lang, and he says, Champ, you got a prediction for the fight tomorrow? And Mr. T just scowls and says, Prediction? And he looks in the camera and says, pain. I think tomorrow <laughs> we're all going to feel a lot of pain. Whether you're an Aggie, whether you're a Bulldog, you're going to feel some pain tomorrow. Yeah, and that's kind of my opening statement about this game, Charlie, to be honest with you. And I'm just going to go with that. I think we've kind of established that I get to go first you with get my, to go first. my opening statement. By the way, we are in our Farm Bureau studios once again. The luxurious Farm Bureau studios. I like the sconces. I really like the lighting fixtures. It is Absolutely perfect. The temperature is 72 degrees right now. I could not feel more comfortable in this setting in the Farm Bureau studio. Well, you look like a guy probably primed and ready for an opening statement. I'm ready. Okay, this game tomorrow, if there is a such thing to me as a must-win for Texas A&M, this is it. And I could also say this is a really big game for Mississippi State as well. Both of these teams play Alabama next. A&M is going to play Alabama next week. Of course, we are off next week and then play Alabama. But A&M was a team coming into this year. They only lost one game last year. They won in the Orange Bowl. They were picked to be one of the teams to fight it out to be in the college football playoffs. And then they that was kind of derailed last week in Jerry World against Arkansas. And so they come into this game today that's situated right in between Arkansas and Alabama. And you know what's next week. You know the way they're playing offensively they don't feel very good about the game. The people I talked to out in Texas and the people who are around this program are saying tomorrow's game for A&M is a must win. It's not about style points. It's about winning this football game. So what do you have? You have Zach Calzada, who has had a difficult time throwing the football. This is a team that has a lot of big-time talent on it, a lot of five stars offensively and defensively. They're going to use some play action passing with their tight end. I think they want to make this an ugly football game just to win it. So I think tomorrow's game, even though you have Mississippi State that throws it all over the field, 
Texas A&M, a team that throws it 55% of the time, I think this has the chance to be just kind of one of those slog it out 21-20, 24-21 types of games. Do you have the feeling that tomorrow's ball game could be one of those where both teams leave the game saying we didn't play really great and one of them's just going to be able to say, but thank God we won? Do you remember 2010 against Florida when we threw it one time in the second half? Yeah. That's kind of the thought I have with Jimbo Fisher tomorrow because Jimbo Fisher is a veteran coach. Now, we can debate all year long about how great of a coach he is. Do you remember when Jimbo Fisher was going to be the head coach at Mississippi State? Right, 2003, right after you know Jackie walked out the door for, for a few days there, everybody thought Jimbo was going to be the guy. Then on Thanksgiving night, we began to hear the, the name Sylvester Croom. And so then, remember, Jimbo was about to be named the head coach at UAB. They're going to pay him $600,000 to be the head coach at UAB, and it was nixed by the Alabama Board of Regents. Paul Bear Bryant Jr. said it was too much to pay a football coach at UAB. So he goes back to LSU and then, of course, wins the national championship at Florida State and now parlays that into the job at Texas A&M. Now, his original deal was 10 years, $75 million. Starting on January the 1st, 2022, that will increase to $9 million a year. He'll go back to a 10-year deal. And then in 2023, he will make $9.15 million. And so I go back to the point, you're not going to fire the guy. He's got, what, $90 million of guaranteed money? But let me tell you something. You talk about putting a dent in the way the Aggie fans are kind of getting behind this program right now, you let Mississippi State walk in there and win tomorrow, they'll start chirping out there in College Station. All right, so that's your kind of look at this ball game and at my favorite overpaid coach, Jimbo Fisher. Bart, we are, we mentioned that we're in the Farm Bureau studios. Of course, this is our Tracks Plus deep dig and those guys have been great. There aren't many people in this world who would trust me on a piece of, of forestry equipment. I thought it was an excavator. I now know that it was a skid steer. Either way, I was driving equipment. And if you need equipment, if you're in the construction business, you got that Saney equipment, all those things, these guys are outstanding and boy, really appreciate their willingness to work with us. Yep, Daniel Bounds in Columbus. Got Fred Fulton over there as well. Ken Crosby down in Hickory. Gresh Howell down in Summit. And then Hoop Weems over in Alexandria, Louisiana. So four locations now. Tracks Plus, they continue to grow. And, of course, they have that Saney equipment on the construction side. If you're looking for a excavator, a mini excavator, or if you're looking for a bulldozer, if you're looking for a skidder, anything you're looking for, if they don't have it from a new standpoint, they'll have it from a used standpoint. They're one of the largest used equipment distributors in the Deep South when it comes to forestry equipment. So Tracks Plus, yeah, but Tracks Plus Deep Dig, those guys have been great to work with. All right, so it's time now for my opening look at this ball game. And You know, Bart, Winston Churchill is credited with saying a lot of things he didn't actually say. You get enough quotes out there, and sooner or later, things sound like you. They just kind of go to you. Well, there's one, actually, George Bernard Shaw said this, and he was actually taking away from a guy named Oscar Wilde. But the gist of it, the quote was that the United States and Great Britain are two nations separated by a common language. And I think you could say about Mississippi State, Texas A&M, perhaps, we're two schools separated by a common color scheme. You look around, think about all the things that are alike. It's almost limitless, the number of professors who have been at A&M and Mississippi State. You've got guys who are professors there that went to school here and vice versa. Emory Ballard coached at A&M before coming to Mississippi State. Jackie Sherrill did the same thing. We sent them Mark Johnson to coach baseball there, did a great job. 
we sent them Kermit Davis Jr. out there to wreck their basketball program and get them on probation before he moved along. And then we sent them Rick Stansberry, who gave Billy Gillespie a lot of talent that he wasted. We both have agriculture, military backgrounds. We're both Maroon and White. We've even been called the Aggies. But there's one thing that separates us big time. I've never delivered milk. Yell leaders. <laughs> Bart, you would often say, and I know that something offensive is about to come out of your mouth when you say, I mean no disrespect or I mean this in the kindest Christian way possible. Kids today would say, you know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's a little weird. It's very, very weird. So I had to go back and look and try to figure out what these yell leaders were all about. And they actually started around 1907. And the story that they give is they have this football game. They're losing. And these young ladies who had come down from a teacher's college and were visiting were bored and they were going to leave by this football game. So some guy gets out there, gets some white overalls, and starts entertaining everybody. They call them throwbacks or tossbacks. I don't know what they call it. But they give people cues on what it is they're going to chant. And apparently these chants are so complicated that they have to practice them throughout the week. After the game, they even start practicing for next week. Rick Perry was one of these guys, the former Ag Secretary and Governor of Texas. And I don't care what your politics is. Doesn't that really say enough? Here's the bottom line. Texas A&M's a great school, but you just have a hard time getting away from this one fact. Of all the schools and all the conferences in all the country, this is the one school where a group of guys got together and said, nah, we don't want to see a bunch of girls out here. Give us dudes who look like they're delivering milk. Their band's really cool. Our band's cool, too. Yeah, the Fighting Aggie Band or yeah. whatever it is, they're great. But the, the yell leader thing, say what you will. I'm not disparaging their thing, but as for me, I plant my flag firmly in the cheerleader camp. I am going to surprise you right now by my statement. My statement is no comment because I do have a few years left before I can retire. Okay. <laughs> Understand. Well, there's nothing offensive. I, no. I just, it's not for me. It's just not for me. And I dare say that most people would look and say, it's a little weird. Yeah. It's like Virginia Tech, the Hokies. That's my that's my opening statement today, Bart. Okay. All right. So I guess now time for our three two one segment. Three numbers, two players, one assistant coach. I go first. My three numbers today. I'm going to start and go in descending order today for you, Charlie. All right. My first number is number four. And number four is the number of yards per carry for Isaiah Spiller on first down. Last week, Isaiah Spiller ran for 95 yards on 12 carries, but he had six carries on first down for just 21 yards. That's where Arkansas really did the great job against Isaiah Spiller. Here's his carries on first down. He had one 11-yard run the first time he ran the football on first down. Then he went negative one, three, four, seven, negative three. So one carry, zero to three yards, two carries, three to seven, one ten plus. Arkansas kept A&M in second down and long and then third down and long. Tomorrow we talk about that game being just kind of a slugfest. Look for A&M to try to establish Isaiah Spiller early on first down. If you can keep him to four yards a carry on first down, I think you got a really good chance in this game. That's my first number. It's number four. Okay, I'll play along with that. I do think there is a lot that goes into that. First down rushing the football you got a quarterback who's not great for A&M. You know, it's interesting. I was looking at the betting lines and how quarterbacks affect it. Will Rogers adds a half point to Mississippi State 
for purposes of the gambling analysis. Not that we endorse that. A&M loses a point and a half at quarterback towards the line. Yeah, along those lines too, what Pro Football Focus will also tell you is on a neutral field against an average team, Mississippi State is 4.3 points better than an average team at a neutral game. Texas A&M is 14.1 points better on a neutral field versus an average team. And that's kind of where they get that thought process of they may be seven to nine points better than we are right now. What that tells you, not a whole lot. Okay, so my second number is going to be three. And the number three is the number of offensive touchdowns that I think we need to win this game tomorrow. We talk about the game being ugly and has a potential of being an ugly game. Well, Mississippi State has not won a ball game when scoring less than 21 points since the 2016 St. Petersburg Bowl against Miami of Ohio. We won 17-16. Of course, we blocked that field goal at the very end. The last time we won a game in the regular season when scoring less than 21 was we won 17-9 against Auburn in 2015. So discredit that. So since the St. Petersburg Bowl, we've had 29 wins since that 2016 St. Petersburg Bowl, and all 29 we have scored 21 or over. Now, is that saying we can't win a 17-14 to 14 game? That's not saying that. I'm just saying this has not been a program over the last five to six years that has won low-scoring games. Interesting to go back and look at the Jackie Sherrill years. You think back to it was perfectly within the realm of possibility going into a ball game that we're thinking we could win this 17-7, to 17-13. You never hear talk of that anymore, do you? No, you don't. You really don't. And so you, you figure in – you know, the way that teams are scoring now, that you're going to have to have at least three offensive touchdowns in this game. And my third and final number is one. One turnover. We can ill afford to have more than one turnover. We've had seven turnovers this season, four against La Tech, did not have a turnover against NC State, had one fumble against Memphis, then two turnovers last week. Big crowd in the game tomorrow. You know it's going to be possession by possession. is going to be really big in this game. We talk about A&M trying to maybe run some more clock than they normally would. You can ill afford to give them the football, especially with a big crowd tomorrow. I think one is the max on the turnovers tomorrow. So my numbers are four for Spiller on the yards per carry, three offensive touchdowns, and one, the max turnovers that we can have. All right, so let's take a look at my three numbers. And I think you worked down the list, so I'll do the same. My first number is two. It tells you my number is going to be kind of small today, but two. That's the number of catches I think we can allow by the tight end Jalen Weidermeyer for Texas A&M. In A&M's three wins this year, he has four catches in each of them. Last week against Arkansas, though, he just had one. Look, A&M's got a young quarterback. He's just not that great. So they're going to try to find him some easy throws in the passing game. You add that, that kind of begs for a tight end. You look at his lack of production last week, that screams, we have to get the tight end involved. You know they're going to be saying it. He's going to have five targets or more tomorrow. I'll be very surprised if he doesn't, but he's not good at contestable balls. His conversion rate isn't good. He's not terribly efficient, mediocre at best. Hold him to two catches, and that will make a difference. You know, last year you look at his stats, the most productive route that he had was an out route. He was targeted 16 times. He caught 12 balls on out routes. And then his second was an end. The third most productive route was a corner. So look for him tomorrow getting on your linebackers, not just getting the football, 
but on some out routes. Yeah, so I'm going to keep an eye for the tight end, Jalen Weidermeyer. My next number is 111th. 111th, and that is the ratio that I think we need in this ballgame for what I'll call really truly explosive plays as a ratio of that to the plays run. So like .09. So, yes. 9%. 9%. So one out of every 11 plays needs to be explosive. So let's decide this. What does that even mean to say that you need to be explosive? I think back to Justice Potter Stewart in a Supreme Court case. He was talking about obscenity, and he basically said the definition is I know it when I see it. That's, to me, how I see explosive. There can be debates, and I've seen some of them this week. Is it 15 yards? Is it 20 yards? Is it something bigger? I don't get hung up in that because the difference in 20 and 19 doesn't matter to me. And sometimes a 15-yard catch, that isn't a big thing either. But here's what I was interested to see, by the way. We have 17 plays over 20 yards this season. Of those, one of them on the ground, the rest of them through the air. One of the things that people say is, well, we only get those when we're behind and we're trying to come back. Of our 17 plays over 20 yards, nine are in the first half, eight of the second. There's this myth that all our big plays come at the end of the ball games when we're trying to catch up. We've had some balance in the ball game, but we haven't had enough of them. And so then you say, well, how many do we need? Do we need five? Do we need six? It depends on how many plays you run, right? You look back at some games, we run 64 offensive plays. Others, we're running 88. What I'm saying is I don't know the number, but it needs to be some number out of how many you run, and I'm going with one out of 11. Why do you say one out of 11? Go back and look historically. Over the past five years, the teams who have been the best teams in the country, Oklahoma, one out of nine. Alabama, one out of nine and a half. You see your top ten teams are consistently coming in at about one out of ten. I'm not asking us to be top ten. Right now, by the way, we're like one out of 17, one out of 18. I'm saying I want to be one of 11. That probably puts you like in the 20th, the 30th range. But you got to be more explosive. The way you do that against this Aggie team is going to have to involve a little bit of running the football to set up your ability to throw. Yeah, I'm good with that. Even though, you know, the thing that Mike Elko, I'm going to talk about him later on. I mean, they're going to they're going to sit back and let everything come in front of them. So, that explosive play may be there for the taking a little bit. We talk about that quadrant of 15 to 20 yards downfield. You you may have something because they are going to play deep with their safeties tomorrow. Have been all year. Well, so you look back and you say, is that realistic? I don't know. It's just tough to have 12 play drives. It's going to be tough, I think, to drive this ball against this defense all day long. So for me, you're just going to have to hit a few big ones. Yeah. And is that a tomorrow number or is that for the entire season? I think that's now and forever. From starting right now all the way through the end. Yeah. But if you told me I could have one out of 12, I'd take it. We just need more of them. Yep. All right. And my final number is zero. And zero is the number of touchdowns that I want to see us allow outside of the red zone. We talk about explosive plays. You know what? We've been hurt by them. Never mind what our offense does. Our defense allows them, and it gets us coming back to this conversation. Man, our defense has been good other than this, other than that. You start looking at the touchdowns that we've allowed, 64 yards, 58, 41, 72, 59, 21, 25, 21. You see teams scoring the football against us without even having to run a play in the red zone. Last week, A&M had one offensive touchdown. It was a 67-yard rush. 
but they've got others. They've got a 63, a 70, and more. Stop. None. Don't. A&M's defense is too good. We cannot put the pressure on our offense tomorrow. I get it. It's a Mike Leach team, and we want to talk about the air raid and all these things. We're not going to be able to score a ton tomorrow. We cannot afford to allow them to have big plays. Force them to drive. That's the way you're going to win this ballgame tomorrow. No long-distance touchdowns. Well, you look back to last year. They were ahead 14 to nothing at halftime. We get the pick six from Emmanuel Forbes, get it back to 14 to seven. And what does A&M do? They have that long touchdown pass to Chase Lane. And then all of a sudden, the momentum you had at 14 to seven, boom, it's gone. It's 21 to seven. That's what they did to us last year. They used the big play to kind of knock us back last year. We just can't do that tomorrow. No, absolutely. We can't. We, we have to put a stop to that. And if we go back, we talk about all the things we got to do to correct our offense. We got to correct our defense and the way you do it. Quit giving up the big plays that we're talking about that our offense needs. All right. So now the two players for each team, I guess the two big horses. And I guess this is brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing? Well, go with the best there is. Top made sausage known to man. Just ask anybody around here. Anybody's tried it. It's best without doubt. Country Pleasing made right here in the state of Mississippi down in Florence. Country Meat Packers. Go by there on your way if you're trying to figure out what you want for your tailgate, your backyard, anytime you get the grill out or just stick it in the oven. has a great snap to it when you you bite into it. And so country pleasing sausage. Charlie, my first big hoss in this one is the quarterback, Zach Calzada. Zach Calzada, we talked about him last week, 42 drop-back passes against Arkansas in that 3-2-6 defense. He's going to see that 3-3-5 tomorrow for Zach Arnett. Here's what's interesting about Zach Calzada. He's got a big arm, a real big arm. Sometimes he doesn't know where it's going. He's like a big, tall, right-handed pitcher that has the big arm and doesn't have the scope. He's got the rifle and no scope. <laughs> He's got shotgun control. Yep. A rifle arm and a shotgun command. We're not calling any names here. Like Against Steve Polk, our friend, was talking about an old MSU quarterback and said he could throw it through with the wall if he could hit it. <laughs> That's right. Against Colorado in the second half, after Hayes went down, he was pressured 16 times. Then against New Mexico, he was pressured 17 times. Then against Arkansas last week, he was pressured 15 times. So 50 times really in the last three games. He had two against Kent State. 50 times Calzada has been under pressure. He's been sacked six times. He's had five quarterback scrambles. That means he has thrown the football 39 times. He's only completed 12 of the 39. He's only 31% when he has pressure. And of those 12 completions, it's only 150 yards. It's only 3.8 yards per attempt. And so if you get pressure on him, he's a guy that could throw it anywhere. This year, he's thrown play action 23% of the time, and on play action, he's only 48%. Drop back, which they throw 77% of the time, he completes only 54% of his passes. I go back to that being the point. I think Jimbo Fisher knows this is a must-win game. He is not going to let Zach Calzada beat him tomorrow. All right, so Zach Calzada, that's going to get messed up a lot. No, no doubt. Zach Calzada. And my second guy is Antonio Johnson. Antonio Johnson came in, listed as a cornerback, but he's essentially the nickelback, 6'3", 200-pound sophomore from East St. Louis, Illinois. Antonio Johnson is the highest-graded guy on the defensive side of the football. And, of course, we look at pro football focus numbers. Second-best run defender. He'll come off the edge. He's got a couple of hurries, 
on quarterback rushes this year, second best in covering. Teams have targeted him 19 times. They've targeted receivers that are going right against Antonio Johnson 19 times. They have 10 catches. So he's done a great job of pass breakups. And out of those 10 catches, only 30 yards of reception. So only three yards per reception. And he's only given up a long play of 11. He only has four missed tackles. He leads the team in tackles. But he had a huge game against Colorado to kind of skew that. Nine of his 20 solo tackles came against Colorado. He's going to team up with Aaron Hansfield, that linebacker-DB combo. He's got four and a half tackles for loss. Those are the guys at the line of scrimmage to try to take away the underneath. So what is our strength? It's the underneath with slot receivers. Antonio Johnson, who is going to be the nickelback covering a lot of those routes, is their best defender. He wears number 27. So to me, that's the big matchup for us tomorrow, how we do against number 27, Antonio Johnson. All right. So, Bart, my two players in this ballgame, I'm going with an offensive lineman tomorrow. And I'm going with the right guard, number 64, Layden Robinson. And you say, why on earth are you going with an offensive lineman? Well, he's the best one they have, and he's been gone. He's been injured. He played the first two ball games. Missed the next two. He wasn't in the ball game against Arkansas last week, and you wonder how much of an impact that had. He is very clearly the best run blocker they had. Expect him to start tomorrow. And why does it matter? Well, this is a team that runs the ball pretty well up the middle, and they run it pretty well, in fact, really well, when they run behind him in particular. They have one big explosive play of 67 yards. I'm taking that out. Forget it. Five and a half yards on every normal carry behind him. This is a team, like I said, they'll run it up the middle. Robinson, I get it. That's not a terribly exciting thing to look at. But I think if he plays, it changes things because it gets kind of that form of the offensive line back that A&M thought they would have coming into the season, and he's been, he's been good. My second guy is a wide receiver, Anaya Smith. He left a game earlier this year with an unspecified injury. Everybody basically thinks it was a concussion. But his production's been going down. He had eight catches week one, three in week two. That was the injury game. And then two, and then two. And I'm going to go back to what I said about Weidermeyer, the tight end, and I'm going to think about Tulu Griffin on our team or what we sometimes say about Malik Heath. You know, when guys aren't involved, what do we say? Man, we got to get that guy going. we got to get that guy going. we got to do something. So look for them to throw it to him tomorrow. He's got more targets than anybody else on the team, but they haven't been effective in getting it to him. He is also a guy capable of lining up in the backfield from time to time. He's got four times they've handed it to him this year. I, it just has the feel that just the same way we sit around saying, we got to get somebody going, Weidermeyer, the tight end, Smith, the receiver, are the two guys that A&M coaches are saying, we got to get this guy involved. They don't have a ton of playmakers. These are two of them. I want to see if number two, Anaya Smith, has a big game tomorrow for A&M. And then you ask the question about Emmanuel Forbes. What does that do for us? How are we going to be covering him one-on-one if they try to go right after you and over the top? I don't look for A&M to, to go over the top a whole lot. I look for them to possibly take some shots, maybe off of play action, if they're going to run it a whole lot. And so you kind of look and see about having Anias go against an Asias Furge or whoever it is, Richardson, one-on-one over the top. Okay, so those are your two players. All right, so now time for our one coach. And my one coach is going to be the defensive play caller, the defensive coordinator, Mike Elko. You know, Mike Elko played at Penn 
is his playing experience and then spent some time at some smaller schools. He was at Fordham for a couple of years. He was at Richmond for a couple of years. And then he became a defensive coordinator. He's been calling defensive play since 2006, and that was at Hofstra. But still, he's been a guy calling defensive plays. Then he moved to Bowling Green as a defensive coordinator. And then where'd he go? Wake Forest. And then where'd he go? He went to Wake Forest for three years, was really good at Wake Forest. Then in 2017, he went to the most overrated program in the history of college football, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Did pretty good there. Silence. And then in 2018, he moved to Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher. And so here's the thing about Mike Elko. 4-2-5 is his style. They don't blitz just a whole lot. The thing that they have done over the past couple of years under Mike Elko is they have gotten a lot more physical on the defensive side. You look back last year, we had that pick six, and then we had a touchdown late in the fourth quarter over the top of what, 35 yards to Malik Heath. That was it. They're going to sit back tomorrow and let everything play in front and they're a sure-fire tackling team. And that's what they've been over the past couple of years. And so tomorrow's going to be that day where you may have to break some tackles. Against a team that doesn't allow missed tackles. Against a team that doesn't miss tackles. And so he's the guy that sometimes he reminds you a little bit of the old Bill Clay that used to frustrate our fans a little bit because it was almost like sit back, read, and react. You didn't force the action. They're not going to force the action a whole lot. They're just going to let it come to them. That's Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator. My coach to look for Texas A&M will have almost no impact on the game tomorrow. I just like keeping up with guys who used to play in the league and whatever happened to them. Damian Craig, remember him, quarterback at Auburn? Yep. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I remember a play when we actually won over at Auburn, but he stood in the pocket for about 10 seconds with absolutely nobody there. Didn't Anthony, a touchdown. Didn't Anthony Derricks pick off Damian Craig? Yes, he did. That was the big interception return. You see Jackie like waving him down the sideline as they're going. Yeah. So Damian Craig, he's been around. He's been a lot of places for short periods of time. He's a wide receivers coach. He has really almost no role tomorrow. And you say, why do you say that about wide receivers, coaches? They can be valuable. Absolutely. But this is an offense that's got a coordinator. It just doesn't have the feel that he's going to have a whole lot to do. And you know what? He should probably thank me for saying that because his wideouts hadn't been that great. But that's Damian Craig. That's my coach. Wasn't Damian Craig like number 17? Yes. Okay. Yep. So a little old school. So that is my look around. He actually had been at Florida State, by the way, and made his way. He'd been, I think he'd been at Auburn. He's been all over. Uh, but so any of them. Tennessee, LSU. Yeah, he's one of those guys, right? Just kind of run around the conference for short periods of time. So that's a look at our 3-2-1 segment. Now it is time once again for our two brothers two-minute drill. And this is where we just kind of kick it back and forth with a lot of random and assorted Notes, quotes, and an opinion or two, as our friend Rick Cleveland might have said back in the day. And this, of course, is brought to us by two brothers. And if you're in town this weekend, need a place to go hang out, maybe get a pregame meal tomorrow, two brothers is the place to go. They do take out, by the way. We picked up a bunch of tacos not too long ago, sat outside, watched a NFL game on a Sunday. Highly recommend that. Bart likes the wings. But two brothers, right in the heart of the Cotton District, it is the place to go. So be sure to check out our friends at Two Brothers. I mean, I like to go up there and sit on the balcony and overlook university and kind of people watch a little bit. Man, perfect place. It's just growing into one of my favorite places to go. Two Brothers smoked meats. And so, okay, so going back to the point, I'm going to blow the whistle 
and then I go first. Is that right? That is right. All right, so here we go. Here's our two-minute drill. <laughs> Reveille 8, or Miss Rev, is the full-blooded rough collie who holds the distinction of being the highest-ranking member of the Texas A&M Corps of Cadets. She's the dog mascot. Johnny Manziel did a lot at Texas A&M. In the single-game yardage list, he has all six of the top spots. He's got eight of the top ten. Yeah, Johnny Manziel was committed to Oregon before going to Texas A&M. Ross Bjork, the Texas A&M athletic director, was not happy about Texas joining the league. No wonder the Longhorns, a 76-37-5 all-time record in that series. What did Joe Moorhead call him? Loudmouth AD? All previous revelies are buried in the north end zone so they can always face the scoreboard and see the score of the Aggies game. Texas A&M has a graduate. He's won four Grammy Awards, Lyle Lovett. My favorite album name is It's Not Big, It's Large. He last had a hit in 2012, and it's been that long since A&M was really good at football when Johnny Manziel won the Heisman. Lyle Lovett had to bounce back from his marriage to Julia Roberts, A&M, trying to bounce back from its marriage to Johnny Football. Well, Lyle Lovett is from College Station, but he plays Collings acoustic guitars that are primarily made of rosewood and mahogany. Do you know he was trapped by a bull against his fence? That's a scary, scary thing to happen. Yeah, he was injured, badly broken leg. He's now recovered. wonder if the bull had horns. The station in College Station is named for a train station to the west of campus. Weird Science, you remember that movie from the 1980s? Yep. Anthony Michael Hall's buddy Wyatt, Ellen Michael Smith, he went to Texas A&M, got his Ph.D. there. You know what he does now? He's an English professor, spent a lot of time studying medieval history. Hmm. Well, under College Station law, you'll appreciate this being the fine jurist doctor that you are, under College Station law, all restraining orders are upheld unless the undesired person was invited into the vicinity by a third party. Then it's fair game. Hey, remember Dat Wynn, the undersized linebacker mm-hmm. for play for the Dallas Cowboys? He's from Texas A&M. Kind of beat the odds. He was born in a Vietnamese refugee center in Arkansas. Well, the 12th man is a tradition that started in 1922. The team had dug into their limited resources, even called on a former player to stand on the sidelines just in case they needed him. And that feat of solidarity, it continues today. Students now stand during the games to show their support, and then they'll hug each other a lot during the game. Neyland Stadium, Tennessee, named for General Neyland, served World War I, World War II. He went to the military academy, but before he did, he served one year at Texas A&M. So that's it. Two-minute drill brought to you by Two Brothers. Hey, once again, we're in the Farm Bureau studios. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. They have agents all across the state of Mississippi. They're the guys that you know. The customer service is tremendous. In all 82 counties, you would often remind us. All 82 counties. All the way from Tishomingo County all the way down to Hancock County. You got DeSoto in the north. We've got DeSoto in the in the northwest, and then Jackson. Jackson County, Pascagoula, Moss Point, right? Yep. And then Washington County in the west, all the way to Knoxby County in the east. Actually, if you're going from Washington County, you'd have to go to Lowndes. you have to bring it across 82 right there. Well, I didn't want to give Columbus too much credit. You know, we do have that big Nashville-Memphis deal. we got that rivalry with Columbus. I didn't want to oh, give okay. them their due. That's fair enough. Okay. So that's a look at this ball game coming up. Bart. 
in the end, you always go back to what's the bottom line. I think you nailed it. I think this is going to be an ugly football game to watch. I think it is one where the message boards, be it Tex Ags or something more local, will be unhappy when this thing is over, just that somebody will be glad that they won. I just don't see anybody waking up on Sunday morning saying, we played great. I think you've got two teams desperate for a win, and you've got two teams who have flaws, and I don't know what's going to happen. Nope, but we'll talk about it on Sunday morning when we come in here and get our strange brew coffee and talk about the dogs and the Aggies here on Sunday Coffee. Yep, so until Sunday, thanks for hanging out with us, and Bart, win or lose? Push. And, hey, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. I, I asked you a question. You can't. You can't filibuster on that. Do we win or lose the game tomorrow? I said we were going to win last week. Nah, that didn't work. So now we need to go like reverse psychology. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm going reverse psychology. We got no chance. All right. So I don't really believe that, but I'm just saying it. I just don't know. I don't have a feel for this one either way. I think ultimately the money is going to favor A and M, but I think this is the thing. If your defense doesn't allow some big plays and your offense just finds a way to get some, you never know. But as you were mentioning, we are brought to you by Farm Bureau. This is our Tracks Plus Deep Dig. Thanks to our friends at Two Brothers. Thanks to our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage and Beef. It's what's for dinner. You know, we had who was on the jingle for that? Was it McConaughey on this one? No, he went on this one. McConaughey does it, of course. Sam Elliott's like the all time best. Yeah. And by the way, so for those of you who have been keeping up with it, all and there's more than I would have guessed, the fact that I had never watched the movie Roadhouse. I did watch Roadhouse this week, one night, late night at the office, and it was coming on. And so I turned on and watched it. I had no idea, no idea that Sam Elliott was in that movie. I might have rated it higher. I might have watched it sooner had I known. How did he die in that movie? I don't remember. He was stabbed. Did he die? Yeah, he's dead. Uh, yeah, he died still dead out. in that movie. Hey, but he's still alive in person. I was a little bothered, though, where our guy Patrick Swayze Dalton or whatever his name is. So Dalton's like fighting this guy who's trying to kill him. The guy ends up in the lake, and the love interest, this doctor, whatever her name she is. She got mad. She goes after to save the guy who's trying to kill her boyfriend or love interest. Not to go say, hey, are you okay? She's a phony. Kelly Lynch was no good in cocktail. She's no good in this. She's an overrated actress, and that's what I have to say about Let me tell you the best thing Roadhouse. about Roadhouse. The best thing about Roadhouse, I, I still like the movie. 14-year-old Bart loved that movie, but the music soundtrack of that movie, the Jeff Healy band, you don't like Jeff Healy? you got to like Jeff Healy. He was blind. No, I'm not anti-Jeff Healy, there, but they had some 80s pop that kind of had sounds of Tiffany going there. No, but I'm talking about Jeff Healy. Like, Jeff Healy was legit now. Angel Eyes. Anyway. Uh, Anyway, we'll see you on Sunday. Jeff Healy was good. He's dead, too.